Good morning. Our passage this morning is going to be Psalm 102. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Um, just so you know, uh, I do have a very large head. This mic is very small. So there's a good chance I won't be looking to my right. It's not because I don't like you guys. It's because I'm afraid I'm going to have to fix it every time I do. So just a heads up. If I don't look over at you, it's not because I don't acknowledge you. It's because I don't, uh, I can't. <laughs> so uh, before we go ahead, uh, I just want to thank uh, Dr. Miller. Thank you, Nathan, for inviting me to preach at your church. Um, I call you doctor just because I know it's awesome and you love that. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, I'm super grateful to be able to preach. Uh, it's, a, it's a responsibility I don't take lightly. Um, it is definitely an honor. And so just thank you guys for inviting me to your church. Thank you to the Millers for just hosting us this weekend and just enjoying this. And thank you to Pleasant Grove for um, being here, for wanting to come hear the word preached. And so thank you for that. Um, I am just, it's, it's crazy knowing my history and just the fact that God has used me here. Uh, every time before I preach, I'm acutely aware of my shortcomings, my, um, my faults, my failures, and everything. And, and just knowing how gracious God has been in my life is something that um, every time before I go to preach, just I'm reminded of and I'm just thankful for. Uh, I grew up in Greenwood. Um, and so I live in Kansas City right now with my wife, Amy. Uh, I go to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary up there, uh, currently going for my Master of Divinity. Um, and so that is kind of where we're at in our, in our lives. Uh, me and Amy were married just over a month ago. So uh, it's still really cool that I get to call someone my wife, and they don't get creeped out. They're like, yeah, that's, that's my title. <laughs> and so still very gracious for that and very grateful. And so if you have your Bibles turned to Psalm 102, before we go, go in and read God's Word, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the morning and the ability to gather together, um, to, to, to listen together, to, to praise you, to, to sing, to just enjoy your preached Word, uh, and to join together in uh, communion. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Supper. We thank you for your Son, who died on the cross for our sins, who, uh, who comforts us, God, that you have, you have so kindly looked down on our helpless state and you have sent your son for us and that you are sending your son again for us. God, that in the suffering of this life, we have the promise that it will be made right by you. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this time. We pray that hearts are, are turned toward you, toward you, that God, that I am hidden, that you are proclaimed, and Father, that your name is praised above all else. Father, we praise you for that, and we thank you for that. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen. And so, in 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata was swimming with some friends when she dove into the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, that, di that dive would turn out to be very influential in her life because she would never walk again. Uh, in that dive, she became a quadriplegic and was paralyzed from the shoulders down. Um, for the next two years, she said, while she was in a rehabilitation center, she struggled with uh, thoughts of depression, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of uh, just darkness in her soul, such as, where is God in this? Like, where is the justice? Before this, she was, I mean, she still was, but she was the daughter of an Olympic athlete. She lived a very active lifestyle, and now she had to adapt to being refined to a wheelchair for the rest of her, being confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Um, 
It was in this moment in the hospital where, in rehab, where she would have these doubts and she would experience true suffering. To this day, there's still moments where she's in her office. She's now in her 70s, I believe, or 60s or 70s. And there's moments in her office where she has to stop working. She has to go lay down because her body is just in so much pain. But in spite of this, Joni has, or Johnny's written over 48 books, uh, has a podcast called Joni and, Johnny and Friends that uh, is specifically able or directed towards ministering to those with disabilities, to showing the love of Christ to people who can't or who have physical and mental disabilities. Uh, we use her material. I worked at a homeless shelter for several or for a couple of years, and we use her materials to minister to men in our shelter who had mental and physical disabilities. So God used her suffering for his glory, while never truly healing her from this. But in spite of that, she allowed the Lord to use her for extraordinary things and reaching people that would not have been reached otherwise. Another situation, you have Elizabeth Elliot, who in the, early, in the mid-1900s, in 1956, her husband Jim was killed. This is a 30-year-old woman who was killed. Her husband was killed trying to reach the Wanarabi tribe, the, Wa- the Waharani people. At 30, she had been married for just a couple of years, and her husband's trying to reach these people, and he's murdered. Talk about suffering. She would later go on to minister to the same people that murdered her husband because the gospel of Jesus was better than the, the, any grudge she could hold against these people. We can look at the Apostle Paul who gave up everything for this Jesus so he could suffer for him. You can look anywhere in the Bible and you can look throughout history. These are just three examples of a countless accounts of people who suffered for the glory of Jesus Christ. But sometimes when we suffer, it doesn't really seem like it's for the glory of God. Sometimes it just seems like we're suffering arbitrarily and it just hurts. Like, what about then? This morning, what I don't want you to hear in this sermon is God's going to fix you. It's a guarantee. I don't want you to hear that God, if you come to God, if you pray hard enough, if you work hard enough, if you do these things, then Jesus is going to bless you with money, health, and wealth, and whatever you need in life. That's not this sermon. So if you came here, I apologize. Nathan, we need to talk afterwards about the sermons people, people come to hear. What I do have is the three promises, and this is going to be my outline in a little bit after we finish reading, after we read Psalm 102. Three promises for a suffering Christian. So if you're there this morning and you're going, life is beating me down right now. Like it took everything I had to get in the car and come to church this morning. If if that is you, you're in the right place. If you're here saying, life's not that hard right now. Life's pretty good. This is also for you. Because even in the mountains, we, we know the valleys are coming. And so this is to prepare us and to give us promises that when we're in the valleys of suffering, we can look and say, these are what Scripture is teaching us. This is what Scripture teaches in Psalm 102. So therefore, I know this is true because God's Word is true. 
And so I can apply these promises to my life when everything around me is telling me to quit. When everything around me is telling me it's not worth it, just quit and just stop doing, stop trusting the Lord. And so we're going to read Psalm 102 and we'll dive in. But yeah, I just want to give you that as a precursor. So if you'll, if you'll start in verse 1 with me in Psalm 102. The psalmist writes, Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. For my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is suffering, withered like grass. I even forget to eat my food. Because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. I'm like an eagle owl, like a little owl among the ruins. I stay awake. I am like a solitary bird on a roof. My enemies taunt me all day long. They ridicule me and use my name as a curse. I eat ashes like bread and mingle my drinks with tears because of your indignation and wrath. For you've picked me up and thrown me aside. My days are like a lengthening shadow and I will wither away like grass. But you, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come for your servants to take delight in its stones and in favor in its dust. Then the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayers. This will be written for a later generation. And a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from heaven to earth to hear a prisoner's groaning, to set free those condemned to die, so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord. He has broken my strength in midcourse. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. And so as we look at these people and we, we look at this Psalm 102, I mean, I'm sure you're thinking, who is this guest preacher? This guy's a bummer. And so, um, like I said, this is not a sermon that's going to give you four ways to avoid suffering in your life. That's not fair to you. That's not fair to the text. And that's not, that's just not fair. That's a lie. Because if we avoid suffering, we avoid growth. And so this morning with my outline, it's going to be very simple. It's going to be three way or three promises for the suffering Christian. If, you have your, if, you, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you the points real quick. The first note, the first promise is your suffering is seen by the Lord. So our first promise this morning for the suffering Christian is that your suffering is seen by the Lord. I remember in the Sunday school being told that the Lord sees everything. He, he know, he's watching you. And that terrified me. Because I, I was a little bit of a miscreant. Uh, I, like to, I like to do stuff 
that I wasn't supposed to, especially when no one was watching. And then I found out God's always watching. So I don't, I didn't, my mind did not know how to compete with this. I said, so you're telling me I'm not getting away with this. And, so while, and while this is true, I think it downplays and it, and it doesn't fairly represent God's omniscience or his all-knowingness. As we see in verse 17, the Lord hears the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. After 11 verses of the author describing his suffering, we get the promise that our suffering is seen and our cries are heard by the Lord. This promise that the psalmist receives is the same I heard as a child as a threat that the Lord sees. And that's a, that's a glorious promise to us as Christians simply because of a, of a very simple promise that the Lord, or that the Bible preaches about God. That he is good. That we have a good father. And this author's suffering is no joke, by the way. I mean, we just went through 11 verses of this guy describing his pain. Just to give you a quick recap, he is, um, let's see, he is, he feels like his days are going by, like it's crazy, like very fast. His bones ache. His heart it hurts. He, he is starving. He's not eating his food. He's so depressed. He is doing these things. He's, he's living his days out until he dies as if his life doesn't matter. In verse 10, all of these things lead to his conclusion that he has been discarded by the Lord and has been left to die. So our question this morning is, have you ever felt that way? And God, where is the good right now? Where, where is my peace? Where is my hope? Where is, where is the joy unspeakable that I've been told, that I've been talked, everyone talks about? I'm not feeling that right now. If you're, if you're there this morning, my, prompt, my hope and my joy and my, my, my good news to you is that you are not alone and the Lord sees your suffering. Sometimes when we look at these things, we go, well, that's not me. But in reality, it's more of a, like, this is more of a rundown of symptoms for some of us. But the good news is the psalmist doesn't stop at his problems. In verse 12, we see two of the, or three of the most beautiful words in the Bible. In the New Testament, it's more of a but God. But in, in this psalm, you see, but you, Lord. He's saying, here's my problems. And then in verse 12, he goes, but you, Lord, are enthroned forever. He looks at these promises and he goes, this is, this is what I'm holding right now. Life's not going too good, but the Lord sees me. And the Lord is eternal. And so what the psalmist focuses on is he changes the focus from on his pain and suffering to looking to the Lord and seeing the difference between him and who the Lord is. We're given the picture of the Lord ruling over all creation for all eternity and are given the answer that this is a good thing to think about in our suffering. And why is that? Why is God's eternality, the fact that God existed before and after time and rules over time, why is that a good thing for us to focus on our suffering? It's because he's good. Not that he does good things, which, which he does, 
But this is the fact that the essence of good is God. God's character, one of God's characteristics is that he is good. He cannot be anything but good. And so with this, while you and I can do good things, we are not good by ourselves. We still do bad things. We still sin. Even in Christ, we still sin. But God himself cannot do bad things. He cannot sin. And so what this means for us is because of this, he's not a king who looks down on his subjects with contempt. He's not a kid with a microscope going, or with a uh, magnifying glass looking down on ants trying to light them on fire. He's not trying to smite his people. He's looking down as a father with compassion on his children, wanting to help them, want them to be like this. We see this in the book of Hebrews. That we are loved by the Lord and the Father disciplines, his, like a good father disciplines his children. We see this in Matthew where Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, you guys would not give your child rocks to eat, you would give them bread. How much more does your father love you? And, or how much more will your father in heaven love you? And so this is not a father who can't wait to punish his child for a misstep. But instead, he cares for and corrects his children to make them more like him out of his abounding love. We can take comfort in the fact that God is eternal because he's also good. This means he doesn't let his children suffer without a purpose. Romans 8 is a good reminder for us whenever we feel as if our, serving or our suffering is pointless and it's just for some crazy person's, uh, just for his pleasure. Romans 8, 28 through 30 reminds us that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So as Christians, what we can be sure of is that our suffering, while definitely not easy, has a purpose and is seen by the Lord. This purpose is to make us more like Jesus Christ, who, though innocent, suffered the loss of his closest friends and the physical and psychological suffering of dying on a cross for our sins. Our suffering is a, is a small taste of what Jesus went through when he was dying on the cross for your sins. Because of this, we can take comfort that even though we are suffering, the Lord has shared in our suffering. That even though we, we're just being like Jesus when we suffer. And so when we look at Romans 8, we can also find hope in the fact that while he's making all things work together for the good of those who love you or love him or called according to his purpose. We can also take the fact that he is tightly holding us to himself. That we don't have to come to the same conclusion that the psalmist comes to when he says, because of your indignation and wrath, you've picked me up and thrown us aside or thrown me aside in verse 10. We can look at verses like Romans 8 and we can, be, we can find the promise that man, that even this is hard. This is a hard season of life, but still, 
God is good, and God is with me, and God sees me. And so we don't have to be like the author of Ecclesiastes who put it just absolute vanity. Everything is meaningless. We can, we can find the confidence that the Lord is looking down to us. He sees us with compassionate love more so than a father can have for his child. For per, he is looking at us with perfect love. So our first promise this morning when we find suffering in our life as Christians is that the Lord sees us. Our second promise this morning is that your suffering has an end date. So our second promise this morning is for a suffering Christian, if you're suffering this morning, is that your suffering has an end date. Not only does the Lord see our suffering and act compassionately towards us, there's another promise we see in Psalm 102 for the suffering Christian, and that is that your suffering has an end date. In verses 18 through 22, they shine a light on not only the eternality of God, but the fact that our suffering is temporary. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 captures this nicely. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of gold. I'm going to repeat that last part of that section. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. So if you know much about your Bible, you know that the Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering. We're talking about a guy who was regularly imprisoned, he was beaten, and almost died several times. He was flogged by the Jewish leaders for preaching the gospel. He was beaten with rocks, rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked three times, and stranded at sea multiple times. He never had a place to stay frequently, and was often in danger from everyone around him because no, no place was safe for him. Not only was this suffering, this is suffering that Paul knew he was getting himself into on the road, after the road to Damascus. This is suffering that Paul willfully walked into because Paul had a perfect life by world standards before he met Jesus. And he walked away from it. He chose the suffering because it would make him more like Christ. And so, I mean, in all these things, this is just what 2 Corinthians 11 tells us. This is one chapter of Paul's testimony. And so this isn't, I mean, this is all these things. And so if you ask Paul, though, you're like, man, if you could do it again, if you could, if you could, like redo everything, go through all the things we just listed, and, and if you had the choice, would you still follow Jesus? Just knowing what I'm read through the scriptures of Paul, I think the answer would be a resounding yes, amen, absolutely, let's run it from the top, let's go. It was worth it. Because Paul looked into the future he looked at the end goal, which was heaven and eternity with Jesus. He looked at this and said, I know this suffering is unbearable, 
just like Jesus went through, just like all of the other disciples went through. This suffering is terrible. It hurts. I don't like it, but it's worth it because the end goal is worth it. The end goal is Jesus and an eternity spent with Christ. This is why missionaries go overseas with a possibility of death just so people who don't know Jesus can find out about Jesus. This is why people give their life to helping underprivileged and poor people hear about the gospel so that they can have a chance to know God and who he is. Because all the riches of this world, all the things that we have, like the psalmist writes in Psalm 102, are going to rot away like old clothing. Our bank accounts will, will become empty. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata has a quote that's one of my favorite quotes I've been reading recently. And it essentially is, bad things will happen to you. You will get cancer. You will have ALS. You will have these things happen to you. Calamities are sure in life. But there is something that is more sure, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the thing this morning, and this is my big catch for you, that even if you die as a Christian, you have the promise of eternity with Jesus. You get to go to the new Zion, as written in Hebrews 12. You get to experience the new heaven and the new earth, and you get to dwell with the Lord in his perfection and all of the goodness that comes with that. Your aching back, your broken heart, all of your problems in light of eternity will seem small in comparison because your suffering, Christian, has an end date. However, for the non-Christian in the room, your suffering has only begun. Hell is a very real place where if you think your back hurts now, hell will make it hurt worse. For the heaven, or for the, for the Christian, this is the closest we'll ever get to hell. For the non-Christian, this is the closest you will ever get to heaven. So my, my question to you is, if you think the suffering's bad, how much worse will it be in hell? The gospel is very clear, and it is open to everyone who will accept it. Romans chapter 10 says very clearly that if you will call upon, all who call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The Lord has looked down on your, helpless, your helplessness, on your sinfulness, on your rebelliousness. He's looked down on this. He sees you. And judgment is coming. Because that end date is when Christ returns to establish this new heaven and new earth. And only, his, only those who are his children will remain. You can try to do it yourself. You can try to pull yourself up from the bootstraps. Your bootstraps will break. You can try to do all of these things by yourself, but I can tell you it ends in failure. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is a story of a man trying to find his purpose and finding that everything under the sun ends up short. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved this morning. If you have questions about that, 
Nathan will be here after the service. You can speak to me. I'll also be here if you want to talk. Whoever, whoever you feel comfortable with in the church, come talk to and ask about what do I need to do to be saved? And so with all of this, there's a day for the Christian where suffering will be no more because our Heavenly Father is going to make right the consequence of a fallen world that has been tainted by sin. And this brings us to our third promise. Our first promise is that we are seen by the Lord. Our suffering is seen by the Lord. Our second promise is that our suffering has an end date. And so because of this, our third promise is that we can suffer as those who have hope. The psalmist takes an interesting turn because if you look at this, he, 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 he's, he's, he's miserable. He looks to the Lord. And then beginning in verse 23... He's miserable again. This dude cannot catch a break. But if you notice, his complaint is different this time. He structures it differently. He says, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take my life, to take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago, you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure all of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you. Instead of spending 12 verses complaining about his state, he says, God, it's hard. And then he looks at the Lord and he focuses on the eternality and he sees the hope that is promised to him. Christian, you are not hopeless this morning. There's not a moment in your life after becoming a Christian where God goes, I didn't know that that was that guy. I made a mistake. I'm going to bow out here. You're kind of on your own. There's not a moment where God will look upon your state and go, I'm gonna, I didn't realize he was that in debt. Like, I didn't know his sins were that big of a debt. I'm going to go ahead and default on that, and I'm done. I'm going to go ahead and bow out of this. God's grace, God's love, God's kindness far out precedes whatever sin, whatever problems you have in your life. So we can look to him and, with hope and suffer with hope. Because when all seems lost, when you feel as if you're moments away from losing everything, we have the eternally secure promise of a loving God who, as Malachi reminds us, does not change. This is a God who says, if I said I'll do it, I'm going to do it. We don't have to wonder. We can be confident that our suffering has an end date. We can be confident that the Lord sees us and he cares upon us and he looks down upon us with compassion because he says he does. We can take him at his word. And so even, even death has lost its sting because of this. As First Thessalonians 4 says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. My hope's in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. My hope is not in what I can do. Like I said earlier, your bootstraps break. Christ will pick you up. He will carry you. He will take care of you because he said what he has started, he will finish. 
And so even though this morning isn't exactly what we thought it would be when we talk about suffering, what a lot of churches would do, which is, hey, if you just pray harder, if you, like, I mean, we're just better as a person, then bad things wouldn't happen to you. I hope this comforts your heart knowing that even though we do suffer in this life, the Lord has looked down upon our state. He has shown compassion to us. We have hope because he says that he will finish the work that he has started and that he loves you and he cares for you. And so I will pray, and I guess Nathan, or we'll, we'll continue with the service. Um, this is what happens when you, don't, when you only look at when you come up and not after. <laughs> and so I'll pray real quick, and we'll, we'll continue the service. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, just your kindness and your mercy and your graciousness looking towards us in our helpless state. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on a cross for our sins. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is dwelling inside of us and is conforming us more into your image. Father, we praise you and we thank you that even though we suffer in this life, we have hope because of who you are. Father, we pray these things in your son's wonderful name. Amen.